2: Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, trying her mostess, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. So I had some really
1: interesting symptoms after having a baby. I mean, getting my first period again, six months after she was born, it was just different. My hormones were really off balance. There was so many symptoms that I still honestly haven't even gotten to a place of making sense of. So I chalked up everything to a more complicated postpartum that I maybe had remembered. But then I was talking to my doctor about some of my symptoms and she said, there is a possibility that you are entering into perimenopause or premenopausal symptoms and all of this stuff. And I just felt sudden shock and I was scared. If I'm being honest, I was scared. I have no idea what that means, what that looks like. I mean, I feel like I just had a baby. How can I go from postpartum to being premenopausal? None of it made sense. And I felt myself just so fascinated, but also confused about why have I never learned about menopause, what the symptoms are, what it looks like, what it feels like. Knowing that it's apparently, well, we'll learn more today, but apparently it is a 15-year process and it can start at a variety of ages for a variety of different reasons. And so today we have on from we have Shirley on from menopause chicks. And when she actually wrote an email about having a conversation about menopause, I was like, yes, 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 please. Because we need to have this conversation because I feel like I'm i I'm cornering, not cornering people, but I was at an event last week and we were talking about normal things and got onto the subject of menopause. And all of us were like, why is nobody talking about this? There's no, I feel like I don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden, a lot of my friends are going through this experience with, oh my gosh, what is menopause even? What does it look like beyond what movies have told us and you know what our mothers have told us? So today we're going to have that conversation. We're going to ask a lot of curious questions. We're going to get to a little bit more of a prepared heart and mind when it comes to menopause. So please welcome today's guest, Shirley Weir of Menopause Chicks. Shirley, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, When I got your email, I was like, oh, I've been dying to have this conversation to have somebody because I even felt like when I was talking with my doctor about menopause, I was still just like left feeling a little lost and feeling a little bit like, what do you mean? What does that look like? I there's no confirmation whatsoever that I am, in fact, beginning to enter into menopause. But there's something that you said early before we started podcasting about the definitions around going through menopause and why you don't actually use that term. So can we just start there of like why you want to like why it should be treated a little bit differently? Yeah, absolutely.
0: I'm a real stickler for words because yeah. I really think that they can sometimes get in the way of our understanding and accessing the health care that we need and quite honestly deserve women yeah. deserve. So I don't say going through menopause. It's really an outdated phrase. And the reason for that is because we now understand that there is perimenopause, menopause, okay. and postmenopause. So I'll quickly give you the definitions. Menopause is one day on the calendar. It's the 12-month anniversary of your last period. Oh. So After you go 12 consecutive period-free months, you have, quote, reached menopause. So I'm 56. I reached menopause when I was 49. Okay. The phase of life prior to that is called perimenopause and peri means around. And really what it means is it's the years of hormone fluctuation, preparing our body for menopause, preparing for the end of ovulation, preparing for the end of menstruation, preparing for the end of reproduction. And okay. perimenopause, of course, you wouldn't know if you're in it. Nobody knows. Yeah. You don't actually know. Like when your child is approaching puberty, hormones are fluctuating, mm-hmm. but you don't actually wake up one day and go, oh, my, my kid is you're in puberty. It's oh, good thing yeah, that, that's like comparative actually evolves. Right. Okay. So same thing happens in perimenopause. Now here's the thing. The term perimenopause was only coined in 1996. Wow. So it's super new in the overall yeah. scheme of understanding women's health. And it's super new in the medical community. Okay. And then the third phase is postmenopause. I'm in postmenopause. We are in postmenopause for the rest of our lives. Okay. And the reason that that's important, it goes back to that why I don't say going through, is because mm-hmm. menopause is like baked in a lot of negativity, a lot of confusion, a lot mm-hmm. of nuance. And so if I was to say to you, menopause, you know, menopause chicks, women who are in perimenopause often will hold up a big stop sign in my face. Yeah. And they're like, whoa, that's not me yet. I'm not there yet. Because they still have the period, right? Yeah. So they're not getting informed and educated. Yeah. And women in post menopause, older women who haven't had the benefit of this discussion will often say to me, oh, been there, done that. Yeah. And that's OK. I get that. But they're missing. Perhaps they're missing an opportunity to prioritize their heart, their brain, their bone and their vaginal health. Mm. And so that's why I talk about those definitions that way.
1: So for somebody like me, I still have a period, but I'm going yeah. through major hormone fluctuations, but I'm also only two years postpartum. I'm not asking you to diagnose me, but when that terminology came up to me that perhaps some of my period changes and hormonal changes that I'm going through is potentially that is that like when, when people talk about going through potentially menopause, it is sort of like this big question mark until I guess you actually lose your period for a year. Is that right?
0: Yes, that's true, but what we really want women to know like yourself yeah. in you know, 30s, early 40s, mid 40s, yeah. late 40s is that the first thing that happens is your hormones fluctuate. Mm. So that could be as a result of postpartum, yeah. it could also be the result of, you know, it could be stress, it could be yeah. cortisol. Yeah. There's so many things happening in a woman's w- woman's life. She could be <laughs> tired. Like she could be just tired. <laughs> so, and you know, what, you know what happens when we're sleep deprived is, you know, then we get brain fog, then we get snappy with the people we love. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was my experience. And I so wanted to blame something yeah, because I didn't want to take ownership of the fact that I was burned out. Yeah, And so I was like, oh, I think I'm going to point the finger at perimenopause now in hindsight. I have the benefit of a rearview mirror. And looking back
1: on the last 15 years, I was burnt out. Mm, which is often common for this stage of life oh. for anybody, women who are often having not even just their plates full. They were like carrying multiple plates all at once. And yeah, that was another thing that was brought up is like your stress impacts your hormones and all of these different things. And so there is this big question mark, but you're so right in terms of that correlation between experiences of puberty and menopause, because I've got three kids kind of going through it. And I remember when they would get moody or snappy and I'd be like, oh, it's happening. But there was never like a defining... Like moment that we suddenly knew this was happening, it was sort of this slow burn. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, like, and I remember that for myself too. It wasn't, it wasn't as known. And I think maybe we, I think as, as women too, we feel and also know that there isn't a lot of education around women's menstrual cycles. There's not a lot of support. And so we often are sort of left to our own vices and question marks. And I think for me, you know, I'm 38 now, I'll be 39 this year. And knowing that menopause is potentially around the corner, it's already maybe starting. I don't know. I don't want to go into it. Like I was probably eight or nine when I learned about periods and understanding them and being prepared for them. And menopause feels like this big secret. It feels like this big unspoken of thing. And I've just been talking to a lot of people that are around my age who already like going through menopause or have early menopause due to cancer or different medical things. My mom went through it at 34. So Mm. it's not an age category conversation. I don't think either. I did want to ask you this because I heard that menopause is actually a bit of a longer thing than people maybe realize. I heard that it's apparently a 15 year process. Is that true from what you've learned? So menopause is one day. It's just the just just marks. The the marks.
0: Okay. Either the day you have your ovaries surgically removed, you reach menopause, or the day that you go 12 consecutive months. And and that's even nuanced. It's different for everyone. But you know, a group of doctors sat around a table one day and decided, yep, 12 months feels right. Perimenopause, not a lot of research, not well understood. And as you Mm -hmm. just identified, hard to pinpoint, right? So we're, we don't often, I mean, we don't educate women. We we mm-hmm. give them a health class in grade six that says, this is how to make a baby. And this is how not to make a baby.
2: yes And then we
0: stop talking about it. Yeah. Right. And then women are waking up in their, you know, late thirties or even in their mid sixties. And they're like, I don't, I don't understand. I don't get it. I didn't have this information. The other thing That I find is super common is that we're not taught to trust our intuition, right? Women, like, we have such powerful intuition and we want, you know, somebody else in the medical community to like define it for us, give Mm -hmm. it to me in black and white. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of black and white in this area. This is women's health. We're all unique, we're all different. I use the analogy of a Rubik's Cube a lot because I might be talking with someone who has like, a very specific experience, but overlaid with that. She's looking after her aging parents. She's raising children. She's trying to hold up her work commitments. She's volunteering in the community. She's dealing with grief. She's going through a divorce. Like,
1: whoa, right? No wonder she might be moody or sleep deprived. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I allowed my audience to ask some questions and stories about what what they would like to ask and it feels like everyone's in a very similar place to me which is I feel like it might be beginning but what what are truly the symptoms that might be a sign of it even though we're very individual are there some very common markers that we can yeah. be like this might be beginning yeah for sure
0: so what happens is when hormones begin to fluctuate in perimenopause estrogen which is the hormone that our ovaries produces in the first half of our cycle it starts to fluctuate sometimes wildly mm. but it's generally higher higher than progesterone okay progesterone can get low or lower and that dance of those two hormones it's like a you know watching like a pair's figure skating couple and you know how they're so in sync with one another but as they get further and further apart it's like ooh, this isn't fun to watch anymore. Yes. And that's the same with the, re- the ratio of estrogen to progesterone. So when progesterone starts to decline, the first changes are changes to mood, changes to sleep, and often changes to bleeding. And oh. your period can get shorter, longer, lighter, and for a lot of women, heavier. And that can become really concerning for women. Plus, plus, when you're losing that much blood, you're likely going to be iron deficient, which leads to fatigue, exhaustion, depression, hair loss. So what I like to teach women is, you know, this isn't about giving you a list of symptoms to expect. This is not saying, oh, you're going to suffer. This is about saying, let's be proactive. Mm -hmm. Let's be curious Let's make sure that eat, move, sleep, and manage stress is at the top of our to-do list. Yes, yes. When we do that, then we can, you know, once you're getting adequate sleep, then you can get curious. Do I need iron? Is there something else that I'm missing? Do I have a thyroid condition? Mm -hmm. What are some of the indicators that I should, what are some of the questions I should be taking to my next health appointment? Getting ahead of that curve is huge. And then understanding that we're the first generation of women who will reach 50 and have 50 or 60 more years to plan for. And so what we do now is going to pay off in spades for our heart health and our bone health and our vaginal health.
1: I think it's important that you mentioned that there's a variety of things that can come with this as well, because I'm somebody who only in the last year got diagnosed with a thyroid issue. I Mm. also have been anemic since, like as long as I can remember. And those deeply impact my menstrual cycles. So it's it's so fascinating because I've spoken about this before, but when I was pregnant, your blood's tested, your levels are tested, you're constantly monitored, then you give birth and you're just sort of left alone. It took a long time of me feeling just enough off and my periods being just enough like too, too much. And for me to go and seek help. And I remember the nurse at the clinic who was drawing my blood. And I said like, you know, nobody's even asked to take my blood since I had a baby. And I'm like, I feel like I was poked and prodded once a week and now it's been nothing. And she said to me, well, yeah, hon, now you've got to do this for you. Like nobody's gonna right. tell you to do it. Nobody's gonna tell you to do it. I do live in Canada. We have access to healthcare, but I will stay within that. It's still very hard to give yourself the priority. I'm going through it this week. I I went and had my hormones tested or some of my hormones tested about a month ago. And I still haven't I still haven't called for like the follow-up to talk about the levels and talk about what I should be, you know, looking at or what I should be changing and all of this stuff. And, and I mean, one thing that people are bringing up, and I just want to add a little bit of warning for anybody who struggles with weight related conversations, but that is a big question that's coming up. Weight changes and feeling very frustrated around, you know, it's one thing if, you know, your weight changes and it's often a symptom of a lot of things, right? And it's not inherently bad, but I've been in places before where very sudden weight gain has actually been a symptom of something going on with my body and something that needed to be, I mean, my thyroid would be a very good example. My hair suddenly changed very rapidly. I had facial swelling. I was gaining weight in a very rapid way. And here I am like disordered eating recovery. So I'm like, this is something that I have to categorically look at differently. This isn't this isn't bad that I've gained weight. I'm not less of a human. However, this is a symptom of something. Something's going on in my body. I need to talk to a doctor about what this means. You're nodding your head.
0: You are so right, and I hear it all the time. Mm. So, for those of you listening who have a car, think about your reaction when the check engine light comes on you that's an asset that you want to protect you immediately get to a mechanic lift the hood find the root cause what Mm -hmm. caused that check engine light to go on when we bring it back to like our most important asset right whether it's headaches or weight gain anything that's happening that's new you know women have been taught for generations to expect to suffer
2: yeah suck it
0: up put up with it Push through, and that's an epidemic. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And we don't realize. Oh, this might be something I need to lift the hood and investigate. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and honestly, I felt a lot of shame when I went to my doctor, and I was like, I know my history. I know that I like shouldn't be focused on weight. However, it's very alarming when you're, and like, not in a sad way, but I was like, honestly, I was scared. I remember just feeling so scared. Like, why? did something change within me so quickly? And you just get fearful. And I didn't want to talk to a doctor about it. And then at the same time, going through mood changes and period changes, it wasn't actually until I started cycle tracking. Now, Mm -hmm. I know that's like a touchy subject for a lot of people. I use my iPhone to cycle track. I also think that if you could just journal it, I think it's important because it wasn't until I cycle tracked that I recognized that my moods were off during my cycle changes that my ability to exercise was different my run time is so different at different times in my cycle there were so many things that i wasn't paying attention to headaches i'm yes. a migraine sufferer thankfully haven't had one in a year because i did some tinkering but headaches were common at around the same time there were so many things i ended up being diagnosed with pmdd yes which was a which was a very I mean, I'm so grateful that there was something that came. I just thought I was one of those people that suffered through depression and anxiety for just every once in a while. It was just a casual thing that I popped into. When I began cycle tracking, it became as clear as day. My anxiety was soul crushing. My depression got really, really, really intense to the point of like, I hate saying it, but like, like ideation of like self-harm. It was really, really scary. And then- Which is a symptom of PMDD. Yes. All of these like big things. And I was like, and I remember when people talked about it and they were like, it's not, it's not PMS. It's a very extreme form. But until I started the cycle tracking and one of the things that prompted me was to indicate my mood, all of a sudden it was like, oh my goodness. And then I felt a wave of relief and a wave of anger because I felt so frustrated that I only found out that that was a thing from social media, from people, from women talking. And that's why I find what you're doing so important. I'd love for you to share how you got into menopause chicks. Why did you start this? And because I feel like the heart behind it might be something that I I quite love. I would love to hear more.
0: Absolutely. First of all, let me remind you that you are not alone. And I learned about PMDD from two very close friends of mine. Yeah who taught me. So again, it underscores that we are not taught hormone health as yeah. women. Yeah. Thank you for asking. I started menopause chicks 10 years ago. I probably started my research 15 or 16 years ago when, you know, my first sign really was sore boobs at 39. And I was like, what? am I pregnant? I knew I couldn't be pregnant, but you know, I had that feeling and then it went away because that's what happens. Perimenopause. The only thing that's predictable about perimenopause is it's unpredictability. (laughs) Right. And then at 41, I was like, Ooh, as I said before, burnt out, sleep deprived, mood changes, snapping at my kids for Mm -hmm. no good reason, Mm -hmm. just really not being the mother that I wanted to be. And so I did what every other smart savvy woman does. I went to Dr. Google. And that was really disappointing, but it really opened my eyes to the lack of conversation, the lack of clarity that women crave, and the lack of community. And there was no community for women to go to to say, okay, this is confusing. I need to sort this out. How can I access, you know, evidence based information and Mm -hmm. shorten that distance? for Mm -hmm. women between two points, because, you know, they have all these other things on their plate. So I started menopause chicks as a blog. It's evolved into a private online community. And I absolutely love what I do, which is really just connecting women, reminding them that they deserve to feel amazing Mm -hmm. and connecting them to the education So that, you know, they can put themselves at the top of the to-do list, like you were just describing, but really feeling confident and empowered when they go into that health appointment, as opposed to feeling uninformed and insecure. And that is really debilitating, especially in a space where our health appointments in Canada and in the U.S. are generally 10 minutes long. Yes. And it's hard to talk about sleep, stress, and sex in 10 minutes.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. What are some ways that we can go into a doctor's appointment a little bit more prepared? Because I was so grateful that I had my cycle tracking and mood tracking to bring into my doctors because I knew this was like a time crunch. And I also knew that I'm constantly on a time crunch. So- I went in a little bit more prepared, but what would you say for somebody? Because one of the questions that come up is like, when do you actually go to the doctor? When do you actually go and talk to them about this? When does a doctor maybe come and oversee the process? What does that really look like? And how can we be prepared for those appointments? Absolutely. So let's begin with, you are not meant to suffer. Mm -hmm. And perimenopause,
0: menopause, and postmenopause are not a diagnosis. 20%, 20% approximately 20% of north americans go to their doctor during this phase of life not everyone will experience a disruption to their quality of life but if you do it is really important that you do a little bit of reading maybe take, you know get yourself a little bit of education so that you can make the most Of that health appointment, finding someone who's informed, educated, and experienced in working with women's midlife health. It is absolute. I'm giving everyone right now a giant permission slip. It is okay to ask your doctor when they took their last training in PMS, PMDD, perimenopause, because if they say that's not my area of specialty, then that's probably not going to be a worthwhile conversation, right? Don't fire your doctor. You need them as your family physician, but you might want to invite somebody else onto your health team for that. And I speak, you know, Sarah, I speak from a very privileged place. I have health benefits. Not everyone does. And I want to honor and recognize that too, but there's definitely a way for all of us to know what our health goals are. Mm -hmm. And so that can make a difference in a conversation and accessing appropriate healthcare? Do you want to have osteoporosis? No. Do you want to die of heart disease? No. Okay. So those are the two questions I ask myself. Let's back that up. Shirley, you know, you're 49 now, here's this opportunity for you to invest in your health going forward. And that, that's really what worked for me. And it's what I try to teach the members of the menopause chicks community.
1: I think that's a really good point. And that's something that I've felt a lot of guilt around too, is the fact that when I felt at a standstill with my family doctor, I went to a naturopath who specialized in hormone, like hormone. She actually is a fertility one. And that's why I went to her because I was like, I know that you do a lot of work in hormones. And she was the one who was able to initially give me a lot of support in how I could naturally work around trying to be while waiting for like the doctor's ultimate results to come, how I could support myself. And a big, big parts of these was changes in my exercise routines and sleep. Sleep was like our number one goal. I remember our last appointment, she looked at me and she goes, I feel like we have the same conversation every year. (laughs) And it's that you need to (laughs) be like, you have a stressful life and we need to figure out how to manage it. But you're also struggle with sleep. And if we can figure out the sleep part of it, that alleviates a lot of pressure on a lot of other areas. And it's like helping you. She's like, you're not going to be, you're a mama for now, even if you weren't working, you're a mama for, you're going to be busy. And I think that was such a relief for her to recognize. It wasn't like just be less busy. I don't, that's not going to, it's not going to work. And for a lot of us, I think that that's like a really hard thing to hear, but I will say, There was a ton of privilege in those opportunities to have hour long appointments, talking through every little detail and being able to walk away with, you know, ways to sort of manage things. Not everybody has that. And I think for a lot of people and a big common question that I'm seeing in the DMs today is when do we even start paying attention or when should we start having the conversation with ourselves and with others around menopause? Can you talk about when the most predicted times are? Uh, well, how about when you're 12, Good right? Point. Like Good point. start
0: talking about hormone health. My two children grew up with their mother talking yeah. about hormone health, whether yeah. or not that will serve them well in their adult life or not is, you know, hard to predict at this point, but really trying to normalize yeah. that conversation. And it's okay to learn things alongside of your children. Mm. I think that's an important message too. what you just said, right? So it's, we can't, We have to raise a caution flag and not say to women, oh, just just sleep, right? We have to actually say, it's okay for you to ask for support so that you can get the sleep you need. There's a difference. There's a lot of messages that we receive as women about, oh, just quit coffee, just quit alcohol, just quit. Well, that really points the finger at us Mm -hmm. instead of giving us permission to Mm -hmm. ask for the support. Mm -hmm. Ask your family. Mm -hmm. Sleep is my number one priority right now. And then, you know, 20% of us will eventually go and, and seek help from our doctor and maybe more as a result of these conversations. That would be amazing. I would say go when it's best for you. Okay. Don't park this on the back burner. Your health needs to be on the front burner. Right. And whether that's an iron deficiency, sleep, whatever you're trying to prioritize we're so good at putting other members of our family first. Something yeah. comes up with our child and we're like on the phone to that nurse's hotline. Over, we're making that doctor's appointment. Put your own health at the, on the front burner. And that's the answer that I have.
1: I know that's exactly it because I almost felt like I was annoying my doctor because I'm like, I see you every week. I have four kids. They always have something going on with them. You know, whether it's, you know, a tummy ache or, you know, a fever that's lasted a little too long. I feel like I'm there all the time. So when it came to making an appointment for myself, I was like, I don't want to, I feel like she's going to look at me and be like, you have a problem. You're here way too often. She never did. That never was the conversation that never came up, but that's how I was feeling for myself is like, Oh my gosh. And 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 I'll be honest, like even within Canada and within the rights that we have and the access to healthcare that we have, there's often a wait as well. And sometimes yeah. that can even throw us off being like, I just want answers right now. And you call the doctor and they're like, we'll see you in three months. And that's yeah. sometimes a hit because you just want it, it takes, I think, a lot of buildup of like momentum and confidence to like make the appointment. And it can be a little disheartening when you're like, oh gosh, now I have to wait three months to even have the conversation to even get there with it. But it's something that I, you know, even this week I was talking about sun care and reflecting back on every single time I've gotten a sunburn. And I would say that like 80% of them is because I put the sunscreen on the kids and forgot about myself. Oh my goodness. Such a repeat pattern over and over and over where like we genuinely harm ourselves by taking care of people around us and not taking care of ourselves and then wondering why we're struggling. And also, you know, they, they say on, you know planes and this is a very common saying now but like put the oxygen mask on your kid first and for the longest time I I understood it but I didn't understand it until I was actually yeah, no. sitting on a plane and I recognized the kids don't get off the plane unless mom gets off the plane like the kids don't even have a shot unless mom's okay and so you know whether it's a sunburn whether it's your hormone health you, like you said just like that snappy edginess that you were experiencing that was a big part for me too. I, I wasn't, I didn't snap on my kids, but I snapped on my husband over a yo-yo and enough (laughs) so that I was like, that was so alarming and so out of character that I need to go and seek help. Because when I looked online and I started like digging Dr. Google about PMDD, it said like the biggest thing that takes an impact is your relationships. Mm
2: -hmm. And then I
1: remembered my mom going through menopause. And I remember so clearly, because it was like such an event, but my dad had gotten her a coffee, and the coffee like taste burnt or something. and she wept and wept and wept. And I remember thinking, why is she so upset over a cup of coffee? And now that I'm like older it's and, I'm never at about and I'm like the coffee it wasn't about the coffee, but she was going through menopause. And I just remember being a kid being like, "I don't understand what's going on with my mom." And you're right to say that like talking with our kids about it is so important because, I feel like my mom did share that she was going through that but I still I still don't know or didn't retain enough information beyond that. It wasn't a common conversation on social media. It hasn't been a common conversation amongst friends until recently until I've been like, "Hey, do you want to talk about menopause?" <laughs> because I just want to know. I want even if it happens 10 years from now, yeah. I I remember being so prepared for my period. And I remember being Mm. so inundated with education about not getting pregnant or how to manage pregnancy and birth. And then now I just, I felt so lost in this conversation. What are the most common things that you feel like people talk about in your community or feel like they want support with? Well,
0: first of all, I think women are like, it takes a lot even for them to reach out in a private community. Yeah. So it, they, they're talking generally about, I've been dealing with this for two or three or five or 10 years, right? So they're bringing like a whole heaviness yeah. to this and they feel at their at wit's end. And so that's why I think these conversations are so key because we need to back that up. And what I heard you say is so powerful. You take your kids, they're they're learning to ask for support when they have a tummy ache. They're Mm -hmm. learning to listen to their body. Mm -hmm. So that's an incredible breakthrough for us. If we can teach women and remind women that your body is like maybe tapping you on the shoulder and you need to to answer that. I do like with a wink, I say sleep, stress, and sex are the top three conversations. And it's really true for women navigating midlife. I mean, And it's really, really challenging sometimes to have those important conversations about how to invest in your future heart health when you're not sleeping through the night or you no longer have sexual desire like you used to, or, you know, the relationships are changing with the people that you love the most. It's really challenging. So meeting women where they are is essential.
1: Wow. Okay. I'm going to ask you something because I just Googled and it said that the transition from menopause usually begins between the ages of 55, 45 and 55. However, lifestyle can actually impact the age. And some of the common symptoms of menopause, this actually, it, it repeats what you said, but this is I think surprising because I think I just minimized it to being like hot flashes and weight gain and things like, and, you know, changes in mood. But when you look at the common symptoms of menopause, anxiety, low mood or irritability, changes in skin condition, hair, discomfort during sex, difficulty sleeping, and feelings of loss of self. Is there, but then I was reading an article the other day, you can tell that I'm like so (laughs) hyper-focused on like wanting to learn about this because I'm like zoned in. But I read an article the other day that some people actually experience a hyper like uh, desire for sex, and some people have a very lower desire oh, for okay. sex. Is it truly like a spectrum of experience? Like when you hear those symptoms, would you be like, "That's pretty bang on," or that's a very generalized version of symptoms?
0: It's actually misinformed. <laughs> okay, so I, started chicks, I, well, I started menopause chicks. Well, I started menopause because Doctor Google was misinformed mm-hmm. and misdirecting women. So. Some of those experiences that you described are symptoms of progesterone decline, which happens in perimenopause. Some of those experiences or symptoms are the result of estrogen decline, which really doesn't happen until after you reach menopause and then estrogen goes for a steep decline. So Mm -hmm. to back that up, really helping women understand the roles and responsibilities of estrogen and progesterone when our cycle is regular. That's key because then you can identify, oh, this is progesterone decline. My period's changing, Mm -hmm. right? I'm experiencing irregular, erratic bleeding. I have a period. I haven't had one for five months. I got it again. It's heavier. That's progesterone. Okay. Okay. Dry skin, skin changes changes to the vulva and the vagina, mm-hmm. joint aches, dry eyes, dry mouth. Those are all experiences that are commonly associated with estrogen decline. And okay. that happens after we reach menopause. The average age of menopause in North America is 51.2. Okay, We are all born with the egg follicles that we will have for our entire life. So while lifestyle and other things can impact hormone fluctuations. We run out of egg. We, we stop developing egg follicles when our ovaries stop producing estrogen and progesterone at the same quality and quantity that they used to.
1: Okay. So this really comes down to us understanding our hormones and the roles that they play in our life. Because if it's not menopause, it could be something else entirely. And managing our hormone health can be incredibly important. How do we start to navigate or how do we figure out if our hormones are off and how do we start paying attention to what we need to be in order to figure out what is hormonal? I mean, there's so much when you're pregnant and you're like, oh, the hormones. And, you know, you have a baby and they're like on the third day when the milk comes in, so do the tears. And you expect all of these things. You're aware of all these things. You know, PMS comes from a hormonal fluctuation. But when it becomes more than that, there is this big question mark on how do we even figure out where our hormones are at? Yeah, for sure. So I usually use an inverted pyramid and at the top is what you
0: said. It's lifestyle.
2: Mm-hmm. Like
0: before you even worry that your hormones are going to affect your quality of life, prioritize how you eat, move, sleep, mm-hmm. and manage stress, mm-hmm. right? Right. We may have gotten away with late night drive-through, junk food eating in our 20s, and that was fine. We may have been able to recover from staying out all night in our 20s. We can't do that yeah. in these decades. So we have to actually have a little conversation with ourselves about that. And that's a great way of preempting or being proactive and taking care of our, our cortisol. Cortisol is a hormone too. And you know that's an interesting segue because you know we tend to say hormones And we mean estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone, but we forget that cortisol is a hormone. Insulin is an important hormone, right? So it's, it's about learning and having yourself at the top of your to-do list.
1: Yeah. And I'll say as somebody who was going through, I went through low testosterone about five years ago and I had gone to the doctor and we had sorted that out a little bit, but yeah, like my thyroid, my testosterone were off. Thyroid's huge. And I remember like being somebody who was coming out of disordered eating and like in recovery from dieting, suddenly being told to like food journal or pay attention to what I was eating. It it became very, very clear that I was under eating still and mm. that I wasn't eating to support my hormones. I actually right. had to have so many more fats in my diet. Protein, I protein, protein and fats. And they were like, I don't know. I remember it being such a jarring conversation that for one of the first times in my life, the orders were eat more and eat with intention. If you want to support your hormones to help them thrive, they feed on certain things. They are, you know, they become more regular on certain things and that can be hard because diet can mean a couple different things. And like diet is, yeah. you know, often related to people going through or like intentional weight loss and diet can also mean, you know, how you eat to support your systems and to support your body, especially going through like certain times of life. Right. And yeah, I just wanted to point that out because I think it's a very frustrating time When you go through something like a weight fluctuation, especially if it's weight gain and you feel very, very lost and confused in it, and then you're told to like eat more (laughs) or you have to actually feed your body to support itself. It was a very interesting conversation for me to go through, but something I've always remembered that was incredibly important that in order to support my hormones, for my hormones to support me, I had to eat enough and I had to eat with intention.
0: And thyroid is a hormone and weight is a very challenging conversation to have online. But one of the symptoms of a thyroid condition is inability to lose weight.
2: Mm -hmm. So if someone
0: is noticing that that has changed, it's a tap on the shoulder to inquire about your thyroid health.
1: Yeah. And that's something that I don't have any evidence behind this, but it seems like a very common thing that people who have previously lost a large amount of weight or had disordered eating Mm -hmm. now struggle with an irregular thyroid of some sort. And what's also very interesting is I remember when I went and got my thyroid tested initially, that I was still within the normal range. However, Mm -hmm. when we dug deeper, when we dug deeper It was categorically dropped so much lower than where it had been five years ago. And that's when like the red flags went off. That's when the bells went off. That's when the, like when I actually had to go and thank goodness I had the charts online and I still had evidence of this to be like, but can we look at the fact that it is, I'm at the lowest end of the scale and my thyroid has dropped significantly over the years. And that's when I ended up being able to get a little bit more support because it was, it was difficult, not, not just difficult, but it can, it was very sudden changes. My hair changed dramatically yes. and I could not figure out why my skin was so different. My nails have been different. Yes. It wasn't just about the weight, but it was and like, those things I have,
0: all overlap with low iron as well. Yes.
1: And I'm also yes. anemic. Yeah. So there was like all of these things combined. I think the big message is regardless of if it's menopause or not, we need to be intentional about paying attention and taking care and taking note of what we're going through and not having that sort of push through attitude. Like you said, are there any other things that you think that are really important for us to take away to sort of plan and prepare for? And I would love for you to touch on vaginal health and the things that we should be considering and looking for with that as well. Okay. Well, first of all, I'll remind you that normal
0: is a setting on your dryer. So I like to use the word common because those normal ranges can get us into a lot of trouble. And so just remember, pay attention to your own body and what is quote unquote normal for you. I love to talk about vaginal health. It's such an under discussed part of our body. And I think we as a society have always equated vulva and vaginal health with sexual activity I equate it with the women I work with in terms of being able to sit comfortably, move comfortably, dance, go to yoga, wear the jeans that you want to. And believe it or not, I do speak with women on a regular basis who are suffering from vaginal dryness and vaginal atrophy who can't wear the clothes that they want to.
2: What? I didn't even know that was a thing.
0: Yeah. So the vagina loves estrogen and it loves hyaluronic acid. And those are two things that our bodies make on our own, Mm -hmm. but hyaluronic acid starts to decline in our thirties and forties. And estrogen, as I mentioned, goes for that steep decline post-menopause. Without those two things, women can experience vaginal dryness, which is really a symptom of vaginal atrophy, which means the vagina can get smaller, like Mm -hmm. any muscle can atrophy if you don't use it. Yeah. Yep. Same goes for the vagina. And so it's really important that <laughs> that we know this information and then we know what all of the options are for bringing it up, you know, talking to one another and talking to our healthcare providers.
1: Okay. So this is why sex would be maybe uncomfortable. I I had no idea that it could involve wearing certain clothes, sitting down certain ways. I mean, I remember that right after having a baby, but beyond that, I haven't really dealt with vaginal discomfort before. That's actually very new for me to learn. Yeah. And the good
0: news is there are lots of ways to prevent and lots of ways to treat. So you can work with a pelvic floor physiotherapist, moisturize with hyaluronic acid, which is different from a lubricant. Use a moisturizer away from sexual activity, just the same way you would moisturize the face and other parts of your body. Super important. And if you need to be treated for vaginal dryness, localized hormone therapy, like estrogen therapy or DHEA, inserted Mm -hmm. into the vagina, very safe, very effective. And we just, all we need to do is to make sure that more women know this and that they deserve this quality of life because 80%, over 80% of women will experience vaginal dryness and less than 4% currently have a viable solution.
1: Whoa. What? I I had no idea that was a thing. Oh my goodness. Um, 80% and, but less than four yeah, will actually 80% will
0: experience it in post-menopause but there are other times in our lives when we might experience vaginal dryness mm-hmm. the birth control pill is a big culprit okay. postpartum is another time anyone who's going through cancer treatment or another medical or our prescription interaction even the use of paper-based absorbent pads or panty liners can with, can draw out that natural moisture that's from the vulva mm. and the vagina. So that's another culprit. My daughter taught me that one. She said, you know, she, wow. yeah, her, her and her friends were chronic users of panty liners, panty that's liners. not healthy. Think about you okay. had a band aid on your skin
1: for like day, yeah. day out, it would dry up. Right. Okay. Two last questions from people that I would love for you to answer before we wrap this up. One, does your libido come back?
0: So libido, when we say the word libido, it sounds like something we have or we don't have. Right. So I follow the work of Dr. Lori Brato, who talks about sexual. Oh, desire. love her.
1: I've had her on amazing. the podcast. She's amazing. amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, and so
0: she uses the term sexual desire, which okay. is like happiness. It's a yeah. scale. Some days happiness is a two, some days it's an eight or a nine sexual desire fluctuates on that same kind of scale. And yes, I mean, maybe it'll come back if you are prioritizing how you manage stress, or Mm -hmm. maybe it's a phase of life where, you know, you're getting through the divorce, you're getting through the grief, you're getting your parents to their doctor's appointments and you know, sexual desire takes a back burner for a while, but you know that it's a sliding scale like happiness. And I think that's an important realization for a lot of us.
1: Yeah. That's a good, that's a good way of putting it. Last question. Is there anything we can do to delay menopause or is it coming for us? And there's like, is there anything we can actually change in our lifestyle that might actually change the outcome of going through it? We're not saying going through it. That's okay. That's okay.
0: So <laughs> the realization that when you just said that, ask that question, it sounds mm-hmm. as if you're using menopause as something you want to delay because of its negativity and it's
1: disruption. yeah, that's what somebody asked Menopause said, is one day. Can you delay it? You- because early in my family and I'm not done family making yet. I'm scared of the, t- I'm scared of the ticking clock, the biological clock. This is somebody who still wants to be able to reproduce. So they're they're worried about their age and if there's anything they can do to sort of prolong their fertility window.
0: Yeah. There is not that I am aware of. I am not a fertility okay. expert. We are born with all of the egg follicles. The best hormones that we can produce are the ones that our ovaries make on their own. So staying really healthy will, you know, continue to, It's a, we talk about hormones, like they're a thing, it's really just a messenger between our okay. brain and our ovaries. And so, you know, really keeping lifestyle at the top of that, that pyramid is super important. But when we run out of egg follicles, we run out of egg follicles.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Shirley, this has been very, very insightful. And also just a bit of a conversation that I feel is almost happening. Obviously it's happening online, but it hasn't been happening in the arenas I'm in. And I do feel, I maybe did feel like it wasn't something I had to even think or consider until I was in my 50s. But the reality is the more educated we are, the more understanding we are, the better prepared we are, and the more we can tackle this without it being like this big, scary thing that women are going to go through. I appreciate your work so much. Where can everyone find Menopause Chicks and sort of plug into the community in the conversation?
0: Uh, thank you. I'm at Menopause Chicks on social media, menopausechicks.com. And menopausecommunity.com is a private Facebook group where I host a okay. lot of quality education, evidence-based, and really just support women in making the best health decisions for them.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much. And for everyone listening, I'll have those in the show notes for you as well. And we will see you next week. Take care of yourself. Thanks, Sarah thank you so much for listening all the way through this episode. If you've made it this far, I have one more little thing to share with you. Did you know that I actually have a photo and video editing app? So many people were surprised to hear that I have one, but it's actually been around for a little while and you can join over 200,000 of the papaya community by downloading my free app. Pink Papaya on iOS. While so many apps focus on changing your appearance, Pink Papaya is all about celebrating yourself for exactly who you are and expressing your creativity and your storytelling with nearly 50 free filters and tools. Find us on social and share your edits as well. We might just share them too. So tag me as well at Pink Papaya app just had to share that with you, especially as the springtime's coming. We've got some really cool things happening in there and so much more coming. Check it out at Pink Papaya app. Thanks so much for listening
2: and have a great day. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.
1: Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.